Welcome to Teach Out Loud Podcast, where we highlight all the amazing educators in our state and beyond that are making a difference every day for kids. Teach Out Loud is about bringing your passion and your best self to what you are doing every day. It's trying new things, sharing ideas, and being the best version of you. It's living life to the fullest, growing, and not being afraid to take those risks. Come on this journey with us and Teach Out Loud. I'm Travis Lape. And I'm Lisa Norris. And together we are on a journey to share and highlight amazing things happening in schools today. Welcome to another episode of Teach Out Loud. And Lisa, we have an incredible guest with us today. I am so excited for you to share his bio and his background with our listeners. Yeah, they're going to be in for a treat. Um, we have Dr. Richard Warren Jr. He was the 2019 Maryland Teacher of the Year and a nationally awarded STEM innovator. Um, it's kind of funny, they, Samsung even called him one of the leading Solve for Tomorrow teachers in the United States. I, I just thought that was so cool. And he's he on is, our podcast today. Right, and he's on our podcast. We're the coolest. <laughs> so he has nearly a decade of teaching experience and holds a bachelor's in science, master's in teaching, and a doctorate in educational leadership from the University of Maryland Eastern Shore. He was inducted into the University of Maryland Shore's um, Hall of Excellence which is the highest honor achieved by that university. Um, he was an eighth grade teacher at Crisfield High School and Academy, um, where he led the school's first ever STEM program. Um, his students were selected as a state finalist out of 3,000 applicants in the national Samsung competition. So he's obviously a mover and a shaker, Travis. Yeah. He's been recognized statewide as a top educator by the Maryland State Department of Education. He's an expert in teacher retention which I'm really excited to hear about this. He's compiled and written and published over 150 pages of literature and recommendations to school districts that are implementing mentoring programs for beginning teachers. I think that that's just amazing. Richard frequently travels around the world as a featured keynote speaker. He's delivered many multiple keynotes to lots of different places. And he's also an adjunct professor at the University of Maryland Eastern Shore. Thanks, Dr. Warren, for being with us today. All of our listeners are super excited to hear from you. And we thought we'd start with your why. Why is it you got into education? At 12 years old, it was a really pivotal moment in my life. Um, my parents divorced, right? And um, I found out in an interesting way, uh, I walked into an empty house. I was told not to go home, but I went home anyway. And when I walked in, my entire house was gutted. Um, my clothes, pictures, trophies, uh, a lot of childhood memories, everything in my house was, was empty. And for the first time in my life, I remember it like it's yesterday, that was the first time in my life I actually felt empty, like my heart dropped. And that, that was the day where I, where I found out that my mom was leaving my dad. And uh, from that moment, um, as you can imagine, it's hard to transition from two incomes to one income and to try to support, I have two older sisters, to, to try to support three of us was really difficult uh, for my mother. So we moved to about six different places, six different school districts I went through. Wow. And, uh, and then my mother, um, she allowed me to move back with my dad because um, she wanted my dad to, you know, raise me with certain, certain values and certain things he wanted to instill in me. So I ended up moving with my dad. And the, the last place I moved with my dad, it was in a high poverty area, uh, hearing the sounds of gunshots, witnessing crowds rally around for fistfights, um, 
you know, oh. drug dealing, gang banging. It was just, it was a really rough time for me. And that was the last place I moved. So that um, combined with my parents' divorce, somehow, some way, I had to go to school. Wow. <laughs> Deal with all that, right? Dang. I had to go to school. And uh, I went to school with a lot of trauma, right? We talk about trauma-informed uh, educators. I was one of the kids who, who uh, most teachers wouldn't want to be in their classroom. <laughs> oh, to, I bet you're exaggerating. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying because I'm trying to figure out, you know, how do I deal with all this at home, and still keep keep a quality mind and regulate myself in school. And you know, for a while, I just didn't do any schoolwork. Um, wasn't really concerned about it. Was disengaged, and you know, I slept most of my high school. You know, most of my my early years of high school just slept, but. I had one teacher, I'll never forget her, um, Mrs. Heidi. I was sleeping in her class and I slept so hard, the bell rung and I still was sleeping in her class. <laughs> so, so I was gone, I was, I was out you know, and everyone left and she didn't wake me up until everyone left, she woke me up. And she did something for me that, that no teacher at that time did. It was simple. She asked me, she said, young man, uh, what's wrong? Is there anything I can help you with? Wow. Simple question. And in that moment, you know, I just started to, to talk to her about everything that was going on at home and, and where I was at. And she put her hand on my shoulder and she looked me in the eyes and she said, young man, I refuse to let you live below your potential. And I'm going to be here to support you until you graduate high school. And she tutored me, she mentored me, and she helped me to get a good enough GPA to get into college. That is amazing. Um, yeah. So I know it's a long story, but no. from that moment. We love long stories. Moment, <laughs> right. So, so from that moment, I decided that college was going to be my second chance to really do things the right way. And, you know, I progressed through college. And really, I didn't go to school um, to be a teacher with my bachelor's degree, which is interesting. Really? Um, yeah. So. I had an idea that I wanted to be a teacher because Miss Heidi, right? But, you know, at that time, teaching wasn't, you know, a lot of my peers, they, they clowned me when I was, said I was going to, or they, they joked with me when I said I, wanted, I was thinking about being a teacher. And uh, I laughed with them when they was like, you want to be a teacher? I laughed, but deep down inside, I was like, man, I don't know if I want to be a teacher. Because originally, I wanted to be a, a physical education teacher. Okay. And, uh, and he laughed at me before I went off to college and I changed my major just before I went to college. So I didn't want to be a physical education teacher. I wanted to do something that was more notable in front of people's eyes. So I decided that I wanted to be a physical therapist. Oh. <laughs> right, right. So phys gym teacher, physical education, physical sure. therapist. So I graduated from my bachelor's degree and uh, I was waiting to hear back from uh, graduate school. And during that time I was working in New Jersey um, off of a grant doing kidney transplant research. Yes. And with grants, the money runs up, right? So here I am, I have a good GPA, um, a, a great resume, and I'm stuck without a job. Oh. And, I, and I remember like it's yesterday, the last place I wanted to be was back home in the neighborhood that I just got out of. <laughs> right? so I, felt like a, I felt like a failure. I was just crying. I was like, man, what am I gonna do? And I did a call from a guy named Mr. Kevin Taylor. I met Mr. Taylor uh, just before I had graduated and he was at a meeting and he was 
asking for men to come into the schools to mentor some of the young males. And I told Mr. Taylor, you know what? Um, somebody did it for me when I was in high school. If I'm around the area, I will help. I will come into the school and I'll mentor some young men. Um, so he calls me right when I'm at, like literally minutes after I'm done crying. He says, hey, Richard, are you still interested in mentoring some young men in the schools? And I said, well, Mr. Taylor, I'm all the way in New Jersey. And, you know, you guys are all in Maryland. I don't have a job. I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, I'm trying to see what, I just don't have a plan. He was like, well, well, maybe you can come in and you could be a substitute teacher and you can mentor, get nice. some money, get some money in your pocket and until everything comes, comes around and see what happens. So I said, okay, I'll do it. I need something. I don't want to be <laughs> home on my mom's couch. Um, you know, I'll try. I'll come in and help somebody. I just want to be doing something. So long story short, my first um, time in the classroom, I was a substitute teacher for a science class. Nice. And because I wanted to do physical therapy, I had all of the background requirements to teach science because you got to learn bio, anatomy, you got to learn all the sciences to be a physical therapist. So I knew my sciences. So I went in the first day as a substitute and I got the teacher's lesson plan and I started teaching the class. And <laughs> to, my, to my surprise, I know how kids can be with substitute teachers. So I was looking for the worst, right? Um, to my surprise, the kids were actually listening to me and the principal pops in just to check up on, on the class. And she says, is everything okay? I said, yeah, everything's fine. And she peeked around the corner, like as if something was supposed to be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, okay. Okay. Like, yeah, that, that's great. And I was like, okay, cool. Uh, second day I get called back to the same science classroom and I'm doing it again. Principal pops in, is everything all right? Yeah, it's fine. And I was just teaching like I knew what I was doing. I had no idea what I was doing. I just knew my science content. And the third day, they called me back. Um, and they called me into the office. And uh, they say, hey, um, Mr. Warren, I was Mr. at the time. Mr. Warren, um, we got some news. Our science teacher won't be coming back for the rest of the year. Wow. Do you want to take over as long-term substitute for the rest of the year? Yeah. So I'm mentoring, I'm mentoring the young kids and, you know, I said, okay, I'll do it. I'll take it. I'll, I'll finish it out. I didn't hear anything back. So I said, okay, I'll finish out. So I taught, um, science, seventh grade science for seven months as a long-term substitute. And while I was teaching something amazing started to happen to me, I literally started to see pieces of my story in the students that I was teaching, challenges that, challenges that they had to overcome, obstacles that they were facing, need for help, need for tutoring, need for guidance. And I really felt like I was in the position to like give them all that I had. And, and that's what sparked my journey. At the end of that seven months, the principal calls me back down to her office and she says, uh, Mr. Warren, um, you did a phenomenal job with our kids. And what you don't know is that those kids been through a series of six different substitutes before you. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Wow. And she said, she said, I don't know what we're going to do, but we're going to make sure that we keep you in this county and we're going to pay for you to go back and get your master's in teaching and finish your, and, and get certified as a teacher. Wow. And Look at all so, that awesomeness so, that happened to you. So that's my why. That's my why. My why starts with Mrs. Heidi and then my why moves forward into me actually helping young men and helping students who dealt with some of the same things that I dealt with helping them to progress and get to the next step so that's my why um, that's why I come to school every day to really to really help um, get students from one point to the next um, regardless of where, where wherever they are in life thanks thanks so much Dr. Warren for opening up and really starting the podcast on such a 
powerful note because I think there's a lot of people that can connect with your story, connect with your journey. But I think also, I think what you're leaving out here is another passion of yours, and that is supporting teachers. And so, Dr. Warren, to really now dive into kind of the second passion of yours, I think, is what do we as a K-12 education system, what supports do teachers need, and how can we start to put those supports in place? Yeah. So along that journey, when I was long-term substituting, and then when I started to actually get into the certification process, um, it was tough as a, as a first-year teacher. And let me not say that it was easy. Uh, what made it easy was just the relationships and the way I was able to get students um, to listen and to be engaged. That's what made it easy. But the other, the backside of it, again, I had no pedagogical knowledge or anything. <laughs> I just knew the subject content area, right? So I had a mentor um, who came in and she observed my classroom. I mean, she was really thorough. She counted how many steps I took to the left of the classroom, how many times I called on a specific person in the classroom I mean she was on it and she gave me the support as far as instructional wise how to make a lesson plan um, how to scaffold so those things really helped me navigate those early years because it was a time where I would come home and I would take a nap and I would wake up I would lesson plan I would grade I would go to sleep then go to work come home taking that lesson plan, great papers, going to work. It was a nonstop day. And I, at, when I look up, my weekends were gone, my weekday were gone, and I didn't have any time for myself. And I was just like worn out completely. So, so when we talk about support, there are about five components that, or five supports that I, I always talk about. And this is why it led me to my research as well. Um, when I became a teacher, knowing um, the supports that were necessary to keep me in the classroom were important. So the first, the first support is classroom environment support. We got to get this down. Um, with, with how to create an environment with routines, with structure, yep. um, how to make sure uh, the principals are supporting this, the, the teachers in terms of here are, here are the requirements, here are the stipulations, here are the rules, here's the behavioral matrix, here are, here are the tools, getting the principals on board with how to, what does that look like? How do you create um, a, a great classroom environment, right? Class sizes. Right, right. Class sizes are important. Um, making sure that if you have students, um, a, high, uh, a high amount of exceptional students with, you know, IEPs or 504s or behavioral um, things, making sure that if they need the extra support, they need an instructional aid, make sure that's there. Um, so those instructional, um, those classroom environment supports are critical. So number two, uh, instructional supports. Um, how do we make sure that we help uh, teachers with assessments and instruction? How do, how do we help them with demonstrating flexibility and responsiveness, um, maintaining accurate records, communicating with families, participating in communities, um, demonstrating content and pedagogy, setting instructional outcomes, uh, demonstrating knowledge of resources, designing coherent instruction. I mean, the list goes on and on, but they need that instructional support in order to remain in the classroom. Um, number, number three, uh, I would say social and emotional support. Yes, for sure. Social and emotional support. Um, when beginning teachers form relationships with whoever's supporting them, um, they, ex ex they benefit from that experience. 
um, we have to be able to make sure that these they are socially and emotionally nurtured um, through this process because it gets hard. Again, we need somebody who's in that ear helping them to figure out how do we balance life outside of the classroom with the extensive demands of teaching, right? Right. Um, so, you know, for example, my story of every day I'm just sleeping and just doing work, that wasn't healthy. I need someone in my ear to say, hey, this, you, if you need to wake up an hour early or if you need to stay two hours late after school and don't, you don't need to bring work home, that's what you need to do. Or here's, if you want to plan on the front end, do a whole week's worth of planning on the front end and save your time on the back end, that might work. Or, hey, I know someone who you can collaborate with so you don't have to do this alone. So having that, having that social and emotional support is critical um, to make sure burnout doesn't happen. Um, and Yeah. I say, Dr. Warren, sometimes I know my mentees are just, they need somebody to say, it's okay that you don't do this. Mm -hmm. It's okay if you take time for yourself. I feel sometimes that new teachers, they're so wound up and everything going on. They don't, they don't know that they still need to take themselves, you know, put that first as a priority. So. Yeah, for sure. For sure. They, yeah, they need to have that space where it's non-judgmental. Right. Right. Non-judgmental, it's an open space where they can really voice their concerns and then get the support. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of times what I found is that majority of the teachers who remain, the early career educators who remain in social isolation and they try to do things themselves because they feel like it's a weakness when they ask for help, mm -hmm. majority yep. of them are the ones who really struggle. And we have, we have to be proactive in creating that support up front because they might not want to come to us. Right, uh -huh. right. So that's important. Um, number four is logistical support, logistical support. Um, what is the, what is the mentor mentee relationship going to look like? Um, what is that time? Do you have authorized time where you're literally working with the, the new teacher? Uh, is it multi-year? Is it just a one year? Is it two years? It should be multiple years. It should be going through their first three years at least, um, right. of this mentoring. Um, is there rigorous and precise guidelines as to how you're going to move their practice forward. What does that look like? Is it, is it, um, is it evaluative or is it non-evaluative? What does that look like? Um, do you have standards, professional standards that you're using to help drive some of those data, data-driven conversations, right? Um, do you have clear roles and responsibilities for administration? Is it a separate thing that the district does in administration, just lets the district do what they do, or is it the administration's job to come alongside of it? Are you collaborating with stakeholders to make sure that these, uh, these teachers are being supported? So logistical support um, is definitely another a way to support um, teachers. And the last one, I mean, this is really important, human resource support. <laughs> I, I, I cannot emphasize this enough for an early career educator. When we think about salary, not just salary, but location, where do they live? Yeah. Housing, housing um, advancement, the career lattice, right? Um, these are all determinants and whether or not these teachers are going to stay in the classroom. Um, right. indivi individuals who feel like they have job security have a greater chance of remaining in this profession. Um, individuals who feel like, you know, once I get this down, can I lead or can I get involved in a committee? Um, what is my next step? What if I want to stay a teacher, but I want to be promoted and take on additional roles? Um, that supports, those supports are necessary. 
um, for early career educators to know that, hey, uh, we, we want to support you in every area. Um, and human resource support is just, is just critical. So those are some, there's more as we discuss um, in this conversation, but those are the main, uh, main supports that, we can, that I can kind of dive into first on. Again, number one, classroom environment supports. Uh, number two, instructional supports. Number three, social and emotional supports. Number four, logistical supports. And number five, human resource supports. Um, these are the ones that, that, that ring out to me the most. Well, and I, th I, th I think those bullets, like, I, I think those are just really good reminders of what, what buckets are we going to fill and how mm -hmm. do we make sure that we're filling the right bucket. And I think, you know, and I'm going to segue into that then, Travis, like, keeping the passion for veteran teachers you know that's that's a whole nother topic that goes along. I mean yes they still need these support systems but um I've been in it for many many years <laughs> and how do you keep that passion alive Travis and I have had people on our show who are teaching for 40 some years and they still have the same drive as their first day and then we have teachers who are maybe in their six seven years whatever they're losing that their fire and how do we keep that alive, Dr. Warren? What, what would you suggest for that? Yeah, um, one of the big things that's critical is uh, professional learning communities. Um, not professional development, <laughs> professional <No>. learning communities <laughs> where, we, you know, where these veteran teachers uh, really feel like all that they've learned is being validated Right. And, being, and being appreciated, where they can get into a space with, with younger um, individuals and be able to offer everything that they learned over the years and feel validated for it. Even though times have changed, times has evolved, there is something special about that. There's something special about having an educator, a veteran educator in that building, right? So having that learning community where they can uh, talk about their knowledge, get validated for it, and also um, be pushed by the early, the, the early right. and, and give them new perspectives and insight. Right. Um, I think that's one of the greatest ways. Another thing is to create a space where you can share stories. Yeah. Um, I found that sharing stories are so powerful, whether it be sharing a student story with, with each other, sharing your professional journey with one another and just reliving that passion or reliving these moments in terms of why you want to become a teacher because over the course of the years of teaching you do have spots where you're just like ah, i don't know how much longer right <laughs> amen I, I mean, this, this is just my perspective right <laughs> i think i think any great teacher any great teacher will always have a moment where they're like man I need a day off or man, I, I just need to, to recalibrate calibrate myself because I don't know how much longer I can do this. Or man, uh, do I want to try a different job, right? <laughs> different job, right? So yep. so I think I think it's a natural, it's a natural. When you're good at it, you do as much as you can. And that can be exhausting. But when you create a space, right? You create a space and be like, hey, this is what happened today in my classroom. And this is what I got out of it. And, and, and that, that those stories just do something so powerful and it reminds you and it gives you that boost that you need um, at the end of the day. I like to call them um, like you have EKGs and then you have and then you have um, life support. Right. Oh, right. So, so, so you have you have you, you put the, the veterans 
um, in spaces with people who are EKGs and with people who are life support. The yeah. EKG, EKG people are the people who come around just when you just feel like, ah, I'm done. They come around and give you that jolt of energy, right? Boom, <laughs> like you can do this. Like, bam, this, this is what I learned today. You should try this. this is work with my kid. Can you believe that this kid who didn't do any work in my class, I tried this and he did work today. What? Gives them that, that jolt, right? And then you have people who are life support. People who are always there that can just give them that, that nudge every single day. Um, I think that's important to help veteran teachers along the way. Veteran teachers, whether you know it or not, they don't want to be in isolation. No. But sometimes, but sometimes they can feel like they're in isolation if they're the only ones thinking the way that they think. Right. So. Well, and even just remembering your why and your story, like you say, telling stories. When you told us your why, oh my goodness, all the feels in my heart. And, you know, it just, it puts you back in perspective, you know, of, of what you're doing and why you're doing it. So, yeah, yeah I love that. So, those, those are some of my, my suggestions for that, as far as that. And I think, I think those are powerful pieces to remember when we're, when we're in these times. I mean, this time is hard. I mean, we're distance learning. We weren't built for this. Um, I, I read something the other day of like, you in college didn't sign up for six online classes. You maybe nope. signed up for one, but you didn't sign up for all six. And so like, to think that our kids can adjust and adapt to this, can they? Absolutely. But it's going to take time. It's going to take staff time. It's going to take really being together. And so when we think of that, resilience is something that Lisa and I have talked about a little bit. And how do we build resilient teachers to then weather storms like this or just weather storms of this, this group of kids that I have are really tough. How can I reach them? How can I do what I, what I believe I can do for them? So how do we build that resilience in teachers? Yeah. Um, building teacher resilience um, is not solely dependent on instruction. No. It's a, it's a combination of instruction and social emotional support. When a teacher, when a teacher, for example, it's, su it's super important for um, a teacher and whoever that mentor or administrator may be to, to have some kind of agreement early on. Like this is what, this is what I would like and hope for you to become over a course of time, that it's okay not to have it down but this is what we're going to build on. It's almost like when you think about coaching, am I going to focus on uh, a baseball player, how many times they swung and missed the ball, right? Or am I going to focus on, hey, should I, well, maybe that's not what I want to focus. Maybe I want to focus on, let's just focus on your stance. Right. Let's focus on, let's focus on your grip. Let's focus on your eye contact. And then over time, right, over time, They'll hit the ball. They'll right. hit the ball. So I think I think during this time, where everything is new, it's like even it's new for a veteran teacher now. Like we're all at like almost like it's new for everybody, right? Yeah. I think it's important for us to understand that we're not going to hit a home run right away. Right. And I and I think when we talk about teacher resilience, to build that teacher resilience, it means building skill block by block. That's the only way you build teacher resilience. Teacher resilience isn't just this one formula like, hey, swing the bat as hard as you can, you'll hit a home run. No, it's okay. Right. You might, even with the proper technique, you might swing and miss. So right. it's building skill by skill. Hey, this is how we can inch forward a little bit today. 
This is what we can do in our lesson plan a little bit today. This is what we can do in our parent communications today. And move step by step until you get this cohesive, this cohesive, cohesive learning, teaching and learning process. And over time, again, over time, those skills will allow teachers to become more resilient. Yeah. Am I making sense? Right? Oh, over total time, sense. Over yeah. time, you'll be able to swing that bat and have a, a better, a better um, batting average, right? Over right. time. So, right. so I think I think those instructional supports of here's the skills, but the social emotional support, like, hey, we're gonna take things one one day at a time. And it's okay if you don't get it right this time, but this is what we can do on the back end that helps support you. I right. think that's the main thing. It's a lot of pressure with teaching. And if we can just walk them through and say, hey, we know it's a lot of pressure. We want you to perform, but more important than performing, we want you to do this thing right. Yeah. And if you rush it and you don't do it right, then it's all a futile effort. It's That's such pointless. a great visual. I keep pretty picturing, you know, <laughs> teachers going up to bat and hitting home runs. And I, I do want to ask, so Travis brought up, you know, in these times, and you said, too, we're all on the same page. We're all starting over. I, Dr. Warren, am, am a mentor for our district. I have 11 mentees right now. Um, and my support for them, I told them that this week when I was talking to them, it's changed. It's not so much about your instruction and your classroom management. It's more so just supporting them and, and being a listening ear. I mean, would you have some other advice for me or other mentors out right there? You know, how to yeah. support our mentees at this time? Yeah. Um, I think, I think having that supportive ear is necessary, but I, I definitely believe, um, find it's a lot of resources out there. Yeah. A lot, a lot of resources out there. And I think, sometimes that can be a bit much. It's almost like looking at a whole school's, school's worth of data at one time, <laughs> right? Like, yuck, it's yuck. like oh, it's too much, I got, this is too much right now. I gotta focus in. I think as mentors, I think we, we help them to focus in on what they can do, what's doable, right? right? Mm -hmm. and, and what they can do, in addition to, Hey, how are you doing with this? Hey, how how are you managing being a teacher with your with your with your child here um, in the <laughs> background, right? Because right. that's a whole new dynamic. So I think just giving them strategies to 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 really focus in and supporting them as well, and giving them the, the tools um, to do so. I like. I think that. that's important. Um, one of the things that I didn't discuss um, when we think about mentoring programs. Now, this is not virtual. Now, this is like when when if it gets back. Well. I'm not gonna say normal because no, it's gonna, be a, new, when? It's, when it's gonna be a new normal. It's gonna be a new normal, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, but one of the things we have to actually look at at mentoring programs are the mentor caseloads. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so what I'm what I'm saying by that is, depending on how your teacher turnover is, right? Because we all deal with like shortages and teacher turnovers to some extent. Some sure. schools are better than others, but we have to make sure that these mentors have enough lateral to actually do the mentoring, right? Um, for example, if you only have two mentors and they, they are mentoring about 40 different new teachers, I mean, how much effective do you think they're gonna be? At some point, those mentors are gonna have to neglect somebody else yep. to deal with the one person. And quite frankly, they all need the same amount of attention, right? So we got to make sure, you know, district leaders and, you know, whoever it may be, let's pay attention to the caseload. 
um, it is recommended that you should not have more than one mentee per 10, sorry, one mentor per 10 mentees. Mm -hmm. So if that mentor is mentoring more than 10 people, then you might have to think about getting another mentor to help along, help along the way, right? And another thing is mentor to mentee interaction time. A lot yeah. of, uh, there's a lot of, from, from my research, a lot of the mentoring that happened is more of like a pop-up. Like, hey, what do you need? Or, you know, or, right. you know, can I help you here? Or can I come in this day? Or can I do it this day? Or, you know, when do you have time in your schedule so I can, a lot of it is pop-up. And although that can be great because it's flexible, but they need sanctioned time where sure. they just focus in on, this is the time slot that we're meant, that I'm doing this mentoring, right? If it's not, if it's no parameters or no sanctioned time, then we really leave it up to, you know, the drive-by. You know, and right. that might that might not serve uh, the mentee or the mentor well. Right. Um, number three, when we think about mentoring programs, um, we have to look at mentor to mentee compatibility. Oh. Compatibility is big. Um, so, for example, if you have a mentor who is who's a special who has a content specialty of foreign languages, and you pair them up with a a math teacher, well. <laughs> That, 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 now, now that mentor may be able to give them some basic, I say basic cross-cutting, sure. cross-cutting, uh, cross-cutting pedagogical, you know, uh, routines or structures or, you know, basic knowledge. But when you think about subject expertise, right, you got a math mentor who's special, a mentor who's special in math trying to pair it with a mentor, a mentee who's in special education. Well, that mentor in math really doesn't know all the paperwork and no. legal documentation that goes behind really supporting that mentee in the area of special education. Right. So that, so when we talk about compatibility, we're talking about content specific. Um, you can talk about personality types, right? I know my mentor style, you know, I might be a type A, like really like let's go you know and the mentee <laughs> might be really reserved introverted those are something to think about right we don't really think about that offhand like how is this how is this relationship really going to work with somebody who's type a versus somebody who's who's introverted right you know that could be a huge turnoff in that relationship and they could shut down not because it's any fault of our own it's just that it wasn't a good match right and then another, another thing to think about compatibility is diversity diversity right it's it's super important you can have a men, uh, a mentor who comes from an urban setting and then yeah mentee who comes from a rural setting and they learn different behaviors and different styles and it just you know For sure. it might not mesh so no. that's something that's something that you know leaders can think about and ponder around um number four clear roles and responsibilities for school leadership now here's this is what i mean the school leader um, should make sure that these early career educators are not given the most difficult classes. Hello. I've, hey I've man. What? I've no, 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 no. Back up. There's no problem with that. What are you talking about? You're telling me the one, the one class in teacher prep of classroom management is not enough to give them class that's a doozy? They should not get the most difficult class. I'm trying to tell you. Oh, we've been doing this all wrong, Lisa. 
Yeah, right, uh, right. <laughs> and, and, and if you're in high school, if you're in high school, they should not, you should not give them too many preps. Right, right. And, and, and you should not give them extra, extracurricular duties their first few years. Like oh, this Dr. Warren, you keep talking, man. We've been preaching this. Travis and I have been preaching. We're going to keep like, preaching because like somebody's got to hear it. Somebody's got to like hear this, it. Yeah, this is the time where they have to master the art of teaching, right? Yeah. And, and I don't know if you all know my, my new role now. So I am now a professor of education. Yeah. So, and teacher preparation. So literally, I'm seeing what it looks like on in the higher education level and the transition into the school and service level, right? And there needs to be space where yes. they can actually practice because no matter how much uh, pre-service preparation they get, there's still a learning curve that happens when they get into the classroom. Yep. And instead of, this is where the university needs to do a better job as well, instead of the university just releasing them like, hey, take them, and it's your <laughs> problem now, or not, not your problem, but you know what I mean, like, Fly, fly. I, I think I think a more residency feel, right? A more residency feel. Yeah. Where they're, they're getting they're getting paid, right? But the university is still supporting, and the school districts are supporting, and they have this this flow of support going in during their first few years. So there's little interruptions as far as like difficult classes and you know uh, extracurricular duties and you know all those things that can really, really get in the way of the mastering the art of teaching. Well, and for some of it, it breaks them down. There's some mm -hmm. teachers who are so overwhelmed with all the extra stuff, they don't even mm -hmm. have time to teach. And then they just, they're like, I, I, this is not what I wanted to do. And that's mm -hmm. just heartbreaking to me because, you know, they're fizzling their fire before they even get started, you know? So great. Yeah. Thing. So is all of this going to be covered in your new book? It's called yes. Myth, uh, yes. Myth Busting Mentoring. Is that right? Yes, yes. When, when is that mentoring. coming out? I, I wanted to come. It's, I got it. I got it in review now. Okay. But with all this going on, I hope it can be released in the summer or the <laughs> fall. But this year, it's getting released this year. Um, the last thing I didn't, I forgot to mention this. Um, this last thing, this is number five, and I want because I really want you guys to get this one. Um, orienting mentees within the community is a oh. big deal. Orienting new teachers within the community is a big deal. Like, if you, especially if you hire outside of the district or if sure. you hire, like, for example, here, I'm in a rural, a rural district and um, we hire most of our teachers from urban areas. Oh. Right? They're not from here. And having teachers from an urban area come into a rural setting, coming from a place where it's a lot to do, and different things going on to a place that's pretty geographical, geographically isolated, and they're not, they're not sure of what to do, and it feels like it's very slow, right? School districts can get a, a heads up on this if they start orienting the, these new teachers into the community. Where do I get my hair cut? Where do I get my nails done? Where do I go shopping? Where's a great place to live? What is there to do for extracurricular activities? Sure. Orient, orienting these new teachers into the community will help them to stay. It's That's a big a great it's, point. It's a big factor because if they don't feel connected, right. they're gonna go back to where they felt connected, back right. home. 
yeah back home back home with their mom where their mom and dad lives and their and their cousins live and where they feel a sense of community so as leaders we got to say okay where am i hiring this person from what kind of community they're coming from how can i help them make the adjustment from what they were used to to this here and yeah. how can i not only connect them to the outside community how can i foster an inside community within the school okay on this day we're just going out for pizza right these are these are some of the things you got to think about like on this day we're going we might go to, we might do coffee on the weekend or we might do you know whatever it may be or just putting them around people where they can make those connections is important when we think about making sure we're supporting that's the social and emotional support when we're supporting um our, our educators or teachers in general I so love that. I get that out that was important. <laughs> yeah. Travis, we ready to wrap it up, friend? We are. This has just been an incredible episode and so much knowledge packed into this. I hope people will really take some time and even digest it in, in chunks because there, you, you've shared so much great things with us, Dr. Warren. But to leave our guests, would you give a shout out um, to them for something that really kind of you would want to just drive the point home for them on mentoring or being a first year teacher in this environment. Yeah. Um, success on any level is preceded by supports on all levels. That, that's what, that is one of my biggest quotes, um, that success on any level is preceded by supports on all levels. I love that. The, the more supports that you have, wrapped around uh, you as a teacher the more you seek for that and the more that you get the more successful you will be along your teaching journey if uh, that's one thing that i can capture success on any level is preceded by supports on all levels yeah that's one thing that if you don't get anything else get that <laughs> i got it and that was amazing. We thank you so much for being on our show and for all of our listeners are going to love all the wisdom and information you just shared. And we'll all be looking for your book to be coming out. And, and until next time, follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Be part of the community, be part of the solution. And until then, teach out loud.